Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining. I'm Kevin Riggs, along with Jeff Randall of Randall Communications. We both had firsthand experience with the gubernatorial recall in 2003, although in very different roles. What happened then provides some perspective on what California will be facing with this year's campaign targeting Governor Gavin Newsom. And so that's our conversation today, looking back to the 2003 recall as a way of looking forward. It's 2021, and now here we are facing another statewide gubernatorial recall, which takes us both back to 2003, uh, 18 years ago. Jeff, what do you remember the most about when you first learned that Arnold was going to get into the race, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, Kevin. So I remember the moment, actually, because, uh, you know, I worked on Prop 49 with Arnold in 2002. There was a small group of us that worked with him, and there had been a lot of speculation that he was doing Prop 49 to run for governor in the future. To kind of set up a political foundation for himself. Yeah, Yeah. but there was no recall in mind at that point. That didn't even exist in anybody's mind. So we were thinking, you know, 2006, after Gray Davis went away, or after he uh, served his second term. Um, so we had done some work with him on Prop 49, gotten to know him. It was just a small group of us, uh, five or six people, and gotten that initiative passed. And then the recall started to kind of murmur the gas tax had happened. We had some rolling blackouts. And uh, uh, people had started talking about Arnold running for governor. So we were all, we had been talking to Arnold off and on. He would check in with all of us and got to know him very personally. Super fun guy, great guy. Uh, and about a week before the Today Sh- Tonight Show appearance, sorry, Tonight Show appearance, uh, he called, got a, on a call with us, the group, and we thought, what's he going to tell us? Is he going to run or not going to run? And on that call, he told us he wasn't going to run. Okay, fair enough. That All the reasons he gave us make sense. He's not going to run for governor that time, but maybe in the future. So and, fast forward. And was part of the thinking, at the way he explained it, was Maria wasn't interested. It was going to be a tough for the family, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it just wasn't the right time. Yeah. It wasn't the right time for him. He had new movies going. Uh, he had just finished Terminator. It just wasn't the right time of his life to do it right then. It doesn't mean he wouldn't do it in the future because he was always interested in politics, but it wasn't the right time. So, of course, we all took it at face value and uh, trusted Arnold, and it, was, it made logical sense. So fast forward to uh, the announcement of him going on The Tonight Show uh, and Jay Leno. I didn't even think twice about it, to be honest with you, that day. It struck me he was going to say no. That's what he had told us. So Mitch and I were in the office, and we get a call from Frank Wolf, who is the local KCRA producer at that point. And he says, you're not going to believe it. Arnold just announced on The Tonight Show that he's running for governor. And we're like, no way. You're punking us. There's no way. He told us he wasn't going to run. And we're like, what? And of course, then it, when, once it went hit the wires and everything, our phones were blowing up. And we, we couldn't believe it. We had no idea this was going to happen. So um, that led to uh, Paul Miner calling me and said, we need to go down to L.A. tomorrow to meet with Arnold. Like two hours after this had happened, Paul calls me and says, just be at the airport at 9 o'clock. We're going to go down and meet with Arnold tomorrow. So that started. That's where we were, uh, stunned that he got into the race that night. And then that started the the recall for the next 60 days. You went down us. a rabbit hole at that point. We did. We had to make a quick decision. Are you going to work on this thing? And, and of course, Arnold wanted his short his team from the Prop 49 campaign to come straight over and do the recall. But none of us had planned for this. None of us had even envisioned doing this campaign. We had a bunch of clients, obviously, that we were working on. So we had to make a quick decision. Are we going to do this or not? I really liked Arnold. It was fun to work for him. He, he obviously, extremely charismatic guy. 
So I thought, okay, I'm going down there the next day just to see what the heck's going on and see if we can do this or not. The, the, the thing we knew, which was it was going to be a 60-day race, basically. So it wasn't a year or two years. But I went down there with him and spent a, the next couple of days in L.A. with him. We had no campaign space. We had a little bit of – we took over Johnny Carson's old uh, space in the Santa Monica building. That led to a very intense and interesting <laughs> next 60 days working for Arnold Schwarzenegger on the recall. So I'll tell you my memory. Yeah. Um, as a reporter, I remember covering the Prop 49 campaign and thinking the exact same thing. I thought, well, this is, this is to raise money for after-school programs, but it's also a way for him to raise his profile, establish his political bona fide. And so I had this expectation that this was sort of one step on the path towards some eventual run for political office, and governor seemed to be the most logical one, right? Yeah. But again, had no idea the timing of that. Um, and then, uh, of course, Gray Davis started getting into trouble, um, tripled the car tax, and uh, the budget was in bad shape. Um, a lot of that was due to the meltdown of the Silicon Valley and dot-com economy. But then the energy crisis hit, and California became victim of, of a lot of price manipulation and had to enter into these long-term expensive energy contracts. And the blackouts occurred, and people were angry. So I had heard, uh, like everybody else, a lot of speculation about whether or not Arnold was interested in, in getting into the race. And honestly, everything I heard from people was, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. He's too entrenched in his Hollywood career right now. Yes, he has built-in interest in politics, in part because he married into the Kennedy family, yep. uh, but uh, that he probably was going to pass. And so when the Word came down that he was going to appear on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. My thinking was, it's a big story either way. Uh, if, if he gets in, if he gets out, that's still a huge deal. So I got on a Southwest flight to fly down to Burbank. I remember um, passing Dave Cox, um, Republican legislator, on the plane. And I said, Dave, what's the deal with, with Schwarzenegger? And he said, oh, he's not going to get in. So that was really sort of indicative of the mindset, I think. Pretty broad mindset was that Arnold is, is not going to get into this race. So I go down there thinking that. And, of course, I'm set up outside the Tonight Show studios in the parking lot because that's where all the satellite trucks were. ton of reporters and cameras, as you would expect. Um, I had a friend who worked in the intake feed intake room at NBC so she could actually watch the live taping of the show with Jay Leno. I couldn't because I was outside. So I, I worked up a little deal with her. I said, I'm going to call you and you put your cell phone next to the speaker while it's being, while the feed is happening. And so she did. And so I, at that point, then could hear in real time when he said, yes, I'm going to run for governor of California. So it gave me not a big jump, but a, a little bit of a jump. And then of course I went on the air and, and not only for KCRA, but for other NBC stations. And, you know, the political universe had, had kind of exploded. And I remember Arnold came out afterwards and he had a press conference outside there on the back lot. And uh, we ran into um, George Gordon, Republican strategist. And George was looking a bit flustered and, and a bit bewildered. <laughs> and George said, well, I guess I got to go home and put together a campaign. <laughs> So it was sort of indicative of, of just the, the bombshell 
nature of it. it. It was like a big Hollywood surprise. Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that because uh, everybody thought we really knew. And I tell everybody all the time, none of us knew. I don't think Arnold knew until he was driving. He told us later he didn't really know until he was driving to the studio after having talked to Maria. And he essentially made an on-the-spot decision driving in and when he was on set. So I, I, I think he was being honest with us the week before when he said he wasn't doing it. And he just... he. He kept thinking about it and thinking about it and changed his mind at the last minute. That's a big, big change of mind to, to go and to say you're running. But it's so interesting And when you watch the reaction of Jay Leno that night and to think back what was actually happening behind the scenes. I mean, I was in Sacramento. You were down there. And then you came back to Sacramento, right? And I went down the next we day. We sort of cr across kind of paths on the airwaves. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And That's then the a... next day began just a series of insane yeah. events that led to the 60-day recall, which is, you know, we were busy working with Frank Wolf and others at KCRA trying to put, toge put together a coverage plan because of the unusual nature of this whole thing and the fact that it was such a surprise. And so we had to, to figure out what kind of resources to put to it. I spent a lot of time um, at the station. I, I would go out and I would cover some of the events. Um, but if they were in Southern California, I would make arrangements to have material fed and then I would be sort of in the central receiving place to put together these stories. And that's how I ended up covering it. A lot of it yeah. was, was that way because the, the logistics were just so, were just so daunting. Yeah. Uh, I was not in at the county registrar's office in Norwalk when he went and, and, and filed the papers. I think you were there. Yeah. And I saw the, the, the video of it and it looked it was crazy. crazy. Yeah. That's when you really, you know, you, you, realize that Arnold's a big star, but you don't realize how big until you see. So we would walk in and out of the building. We didn't have campaign space, like I said, because we weren't prepared for a campaign. So we were just working in a big empty room. But as we walked out of the building to get lunch or whatever, there was 50 or 60 reporters camped out there. I mean, just waiting for and trying to talk to us as we went in and out. They were shooting the windows, trying to see what was going on inside. I mean, you really like realized, and I got a little taste of it with him in Prop 49, the kind of crowds we would draw and the kind of star power he had. But not until he ran for governor did you really, this guy is an international star. And I think you know it, have noted before, not only did you have NBC Los Angeles, you know, KCRA, you had German TV, Austrian, you know, all these European news outlets covering this thing just as intensely as California and national news outlets were covering this thing. It really struck home to me. There was a particular campaign uh, stop that he made in, uh, in Fresno. And he had a press conference downtown, and then he had a rally at this uh, shopping mall on the north end of Fresno. And just a massive, massive crowd. Um, but what I do remember is, yeah, there were correspondents there from Muscle Magazine. Yep. Yep. And uh, Austrian TV, um, uh, you know, all kinds of, of worldwide global correspondents covering this thing. And of course, you're thinking, well, I've never covered a governor's race um, that attracted this kind of attention exactly. before. So it was, in some ways, it was it was pretty surreal. surreal. And, and I remember, so we were both at that event. So you were covering it on the media side, and I was uh, putting the event together from the Arnold recall side or the Arnold campaign side. And that was a massive event. I mean, that thing was thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I think that was part of one of our bus tours, maybe when we stopped in Fresno. It was you huge. That one. Yeah. I remember having to, 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 I arrived and the crowd had already formed and I had to 
muscle my way through the crowd just to get to uh, the place where our cameras were. And it was not easy to do because the crowd was just so packed yeah. and so massive. We had big crowds everywhere, but I remember the Central Valley crowds were the biggest, especially if you, I guess, if you rated them versus vis-a-vis -vis their population size, for sure they were the biggest, but they were just big in general. Bakersfield was always big. Fresno was always big. Stockton and Modesto were always big. We did a big event in Sacramento at the end, of course, with 20,000 people, but you really did, it was interesting of, and Arnold would always say like, you know, we would be working with him on communications and media training and he would say, oh, I've dealt with the entertainment press for a long time. So he had experience dealing with that, but the political press is a little different, but he handled it. And he always had such a good um, uh, balance about approach to everything, positive, this is good, you know, we're gonna, even though all this stuff is happening around uh, and you're covering it and watching it and I'm watching it on the inside and the, the campaign is, kind of organized chaos just because we weren't planned. Luckily, our team came back together. It was a bunch of people that had worked together before. So we were quickly, everybody got into their lanes and knew what they needed to do. And they, the team performed super well. And because of those of us knew Arnold, the, the, the others who didn't know Arnold, we knew each other. So the campaign team came together. But being it, I moved down to Santa Monica for 60 days, basically without a hotel down there, because that's where all the action was, even though we had a campaign office here that we opened up quickly. Santa Monica's where everything was happening. But the crowds, the press attention was really, really off the charts. You and I, I think, both were at the State Fair event. Yes. And, and let's talk a little bit about our mutual uh, memories of that. I mean, um, of course, it was interesting because here's Arnold, and I don't know whether you guys had planned it or if he decided to do it, but he just started doing this little walk yeah, down the fairway. It. Yeah, we planned it. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, I'm with my photographer, and it's it was one of the hottest days of the year, and we're all just perspiring, right? <laughs> and backpedaling to try and not fall down, but get pictures of Arnold. Yeah. And he was he was thoroughly enjoying the interaction, and then of course he got up on a, on a stage or some kind of a riser afterwards made a few remarks, I think he answered a few questions, and then of course started throwing out the t-shirts to everybody, yeah, which was just yeah. a, great, uh, a great campaign gimmick, if you will, because people really responded to that. It's interesting with him uh, because previous candidates who I'd worked for who were all great, but you had to generate crowds for those people. With Arnold, you had to manage the crowds because he was a magnet of people and he loved, he fed off the energy, he loved seeing people, that's what got him going. But it was management, right? Because he was such a big star, you had people coming to see him that normally would have never come to any kind of political event. And of course, that crossed over then with the recall and the interest in the recall. And I remember that event was, that was huge. I mean, first of all, the fair was crowded as it was that day. And we took him in there, which is good and bad. But again, you're trying to manage the crowd. And he loved walking around, but he was pretty good at that because he was a big star. So he knew how to kind of blow through. Uh, but that that was a big event. I got a lot of pictures from events that day. It was hot. It had to be 108 or 110 so degrees hot. that day. It was super hot, <laughs> but it turned out to be a great event. And uh, again, he had that magnetism about him. The people, some people, so we had publicized that he was going to be there. So we had a bunch of people that came, but people that didn't know he was going to be there, watching them see him, again, you realize this guy's a big star. Like everybody knows Arnold Schwarzenegger. It wasn't like, Who's that guy? You know, it was like, there's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And people would then trail in. The crowd got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, of course, the advanced guys and the security guys are having a heart attack because it was just getting big. And that's when he re we really started to know we had a lot of momentum in this thing is the crowds were just huge. And 
but but we weren't we were converting those people to yes votes for Arnold too. It wasn't just hey we're interested. We were then converting them as a campaign to yes votes for Arnold. But one of the um, kind of unusual nature of of the recall was how crowded the ballot became. Yeah, 135 people. Uh, some of them fairly interesting characters. Yeah, uh, Gary, <laughs> Gary Coleman and Larry Flint and a porn actress and and Peter Uberoth and the list went yeah. on and on and on. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was such a large number. Talk about management. Um, what kind of a challenge did that create uh, for the campaign? It was a big challenge, and it was a political challenge because you had Cruz Bustamante as the one big Democrat name, and his gamble was, um, if Gray Davis is baked, I want to be the Democrat on the ballot because there's a bunch of Republicans. And then you had Uberoth, and then you had Tom McClintock, who was a very uh, popular conservative congressman also, and then you had Arnold. Um, our challenge was everybody knew Arnold was a Republican. Obviously, there were more Republicans demographically in the state back then than there are now, so the number was higher. But still, our, our, our challenge was to make everybody believed Arnold. He was a big personality. And, uh, you know, we, we were, let's bring California back. So the theme was we're going we're gonna to sweep out the bad and bring in California. But this was not baked from the beginning. I mean, there was a, a question about whether Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, he's a big celebrity, yeah, we like what he's saying, but can he actually clean up the state? That's a big gap, right? And, and you're not going to get rid of a governor with a, unless you think this new guy is competent and has the ability to clean it up and make a difference. So this thing, you know, 30 days out, we were dead even. Uh, I mean, Bustamante and us were dead even, and McClintock was trailing by not that much. The, the big, there was a bunch of big things, which was Arnold, you know, releasing kind of what his agenda was to clean up the state and being competent, he had to be competent on the issues. Um, and, you know, Arnold was never deep on the issues, but he was certainly, he was smart and he was competent and he knew the four or five things that he wanted to do. But the really the big event in the recall was the first debate. And I'm convinced that's when it really switched to us. That was the one at Sac State. The one at Sac State in yeah. Sacramento, that's right. Because there was a ton of pressure on Arnold. If he had flubbed that debate or didn't look competent or didn't know the issues, I'm not sure he would have won that race. But he performed, the, the preparation for him with the team was fantastic. He performed very well. He had some great lines that you'll remember that he delivered very well. well I remember Ariana Huffington, Ariana Ariana Huffington. Huffington tried to yeah. needle him, yep. right? Yep. Yeah, and he performed great. I mean, he's an actor. He performed great, but he, he, he took his craft seriously. He studied, he knew the issues. And once we got past that where people could say, okay, he's a big personality, he's going to clean this mess up, and I, I can now envision him as governor. You know, we were on our way. It so, wasn't done, but we were on our way. So the debate gave people a chance to take some measurement of, here's a guy who does more than just rehearse scripts. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably the same thing Ronald Reagan went through. It goes yeah. from actor to like, okay, can I envision him as an elected official? Can I envision him? Because you're, you're never, and this recall I think is similar, you're not going to turn the state over to an amateur, right, that, that you don't think is competent to to fix what's going on. You're, you're mad at Gray Davis, you're mad at the gas tax, you're mad at the rolling blackouts. Who's gonna fix it? Okay, Arnold says he's gonna sweep it. He's an outsider, he's a disruptor. That was very clear, people saw that. But is he gonna be able to be governor? And I think that first debate when they saw him on the stage with everybody else, including elected officials who've been in office for a long, a long time, he performed very well, he laid out his agenda, and he pushed back in key places, you know? And I think at that point, I felt like, okay, we're on our way now. There's more things we gotta do, but that was got over a big hump. And, and there was a ton of pressure on him that night. If he hadn't performed well, 
it would have been um, a bigger question. But I've, I've always told people, like a lot of people now in hindsight think it was baked for Arnold from the beginning, and it wasn't. It wasn't at all. And he had to perform well, and that, and that helped a lot. And then you know, from there, you could feel the momentum shifting and going in our direction. Because we had all the press covers we wanted. I mean, we, we were managing the earned media, right? We didn't have to seek anything out. It was about managing. That's why I was curious about your view of that, because we had so much, you know, because I know you were uh, a reporter that got a lot of time with Arnold. And I was curious about your impressions of him during that time, because he was a first-time you know, first candidate. He had done the Prop 49 drill, and you had covered him then. Right. But how did you see his growth as a candidate during the, the recall? Well, he he uh, actually, I think maybe because of his Hollywood background, uh, was was pretty much a natural in dealing with uh, media attention and even with the political uh, press, which, as you noted, is a very different animal from entertainment press. Uh, but he he had a lot of confidence and he seemed to grow and and seemed to gain more confidence. I think as time went on, I remember covering the debate at Sac State and uh, thinking that he had handled himself very well. Uh, he, he didn't take some of the bait and was able to sort of give it back in, in memorable fashion. And I think he scored a lot of points that way. Um, I, I had fairly decent access to him, even one-on-one -on -one from time to time, considering, you know, the, the nature of the, of the campaign itself and his global status. Um, but I remember right after um, the Sac State debate, I had a chance to go down to um, Dana Point in Orange County and do a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. And uh, we set up in a hotel room. He showed up. Um, I asked him a few questions about Tom McClintock because that was sort of a, a nagging issue. You know, uh, Was he worried that Tom McClintock was going to take away really crucial conservative support for him? Yeah. And I think he had been sort of um, coached not to talk about McClintock because he initially wouldn't. And I kept badgering him, I suppose, but I kept following up. And he finally said, yes, there will come a time at which I need to approach him and have a conversation with him about doing what's right for the party. And I remember his, uh, his campaign people weren't so pleased with that <laughs> because he, he departed from what, what he was supposed his to say. His campaign people meaning us, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I reminded you I was at the hotel that day, too, because he was speaking to the chamber pack. Yeah. So I pro we probably crossed a path that day. Yeah. And, of course, the, 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 the funny part of that day, you know, it's, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. But, but Schwarzenegger was way behind schedule made us very, very late to feed the video. And of course, NBC was very interested in the interview. They had sent a satellite truck down from Burbank to Orange County. By the time we finished the interview, it was like a clip from some Saturday Night Live, <laughs> Saturday Night Live episode where I'm running down the street with the tape to get to the truck and I'm all out of breath here, just feed it out to the world, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it says a lot about you as uh, obviously we, we knew of each other, a little bit of interaction that far back, but that you had so much access. Because, I mean, there, we could have given access to anybody, right? And the press team, obviously, Stutzman and his group worked with you because you were always very, viewed as such a fair reporter, but, you know, it, it really was a window. It was a strange time. It was a really exhilarating time to be on a campaign like that. And you just realized something big was happening every day, you know, even re regardless. And we pretty much felt like Davis was baked because his numbers always stayed in the mid-50s. The recall question was 55, 56 Yeah, he had barely gotten, frankly, had gotten reelected. So he, he didn't start off in a strong position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think most people... 
uh, felt like. And, and the numbers the numbers confirmed the fact that he was in deep trouble. And, and he, that's why Cruz Bustamante got on the race. And he knew it because I remember at one point uh, I talked to Gray Davis about Arnold getting into the race and he made sort of a, a wry joke about, well, here I am, a mere mortal running against a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, yeah. he recognized this huge universal appeal of the guy. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, and, and he, was, he was obviously vulnerable, and, and Cruz Bustamante um, recognized that and decided to step in, which was a pretty risky thing to do in terms of party politics, right? Definitely, definitely. But I think he, you know, he viewed, I think what he underestimated was the, the power of Arnold Schwarzenegger. If Arnold had not been in that race, Cruz would have had a serious chance to win that thing, I think, right? As the only lieutenant governor, only prominent Democrat in the race. And his theory was, you know, the Republicans. But, but we were able to consolidate so much Democrat. And it wasn't just Republicans that we were consolidating. We were, we were consolidating disaffected Democrats, disaffected independents, and Republicans, cobbling it together. I think we ended up with 48, 49% of the vote. So we won pretty overwhelmingly. But it wasn't baked from the beginning. That's right. really the important part. It took, Arnold performed very well in a very pressure-packed, I mean, you've covered campaigns before. We did, in 60 days, what's normally done in a year to 18 months. I mean, it was intense, you it, know, it talking about 24-7, and you guys covering it, same thing. It was it was on the level of, of a presidential campaign, but, but just condensed into one state, big state, and in a very short time frame. Yeah, yeah. And so from a, from a campaign perspective, it was interesting because we were working, you know, I, I would get in the office at seven and work till 10 or 11 because there was never enough time to get it all done. And the, the, the working for a star, of, I mean, everybody wanted his ear, everybody wanted our ear. Uh, and, you know, people had a, a kind of a first 30 days, they were kind of testing it out. Is, this, is he really going to put this together or not? You know, the, and then once they started seeing it all come together, the momentum built and then we got the Republican Party endorsement, which at first the party wasn't going to endorse. But, you know, we, we had Arnold go to the convention and he performed really well. And he's so charismatic and really made the strong case about cleaning up the state. And we got all the key coalition groups we needed to do to put that endorsement together. And that was another kind of cog in the wheel of we're putting this together. And that really hurt McClintock, too, that, that Arnold got the Republican Party endorsement, because that's what Tom was counting on. But talk about uh, the bumps in the road as well. And there were significant bumps in the road. Yeah. Um, when the LA Times came out with this scathing article about yeah. Schwarzenegger behaving badly with women on, on movie sets. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, that was that was tough. I mean, you know, we, the L.A. Times had dedicated, my recollection is, I don't know, eight or ten reporters to, there's been all these rumors for a long period of time, and they dedicated a tremendous amount of resources to reporting on this story. And they were having trouble, and we knew about it, in my recollection. And then I remember the we were doing a, a, bus, a bus tour up the state, starting in San Diego to the Bay Area, towards the end of the campaign. My recollection is four, five, six days before the end of the campaign. Uh, and we were feeling pretty good about where we were at that point. But, of course, this was a bump in the road that you didn't need at that time, right? There couldn't have been a worse time for this story to surface. Um, and I remember getting on a call with Arnold super early one day before the San Diego kickoff, which was a kind of a breakfast morning event, big crowd event, and, uh, you know, walking through kind of what the plan was. And, yeah, we didn't know. We, we didn't know. But... Um, what the question was, you know, is this a bump in the road or is it really going to blow up and be an obstacle to him getting elected? And at that point, you know, it was happening so fast. You could look at data, but you didn't really know. The, the best kind of data point was what was happening on the ground. Are the crowds getting smaller? Or what's happening? Or how are people reacting? 
And what we found out that day, in my view, that was the day I realized we were going to win because we started in San Diego and we had a good crowd. It wasn't an overwhelming crowd. But then we got to Orange County and it had a huge crowd. And then we and we got left there and I was we were feeling better about it. And I think by the time I'll never forget driving up to Bakersfield and seeing a group the size of that crowd was so big. At that point, I said, we're going to win. This is bigger than that. Uh, and, and Arnold had handled it very well, I thought, and, and the message on it was good. And the crowd in Kern was so big, you realized, okay, this recall, this movement, it really, at that point, it wasn't a campaign, it was a movement, is so much bigger than this. No matter how you felt about the issue itself, which was a legitimate issue, the crowd was so big there that you, I, I really felt when I drove in there, this, this is bigger than all of this. Like, we've, we've, we've moved this from a campaign for governor to a movement to clean up the state and Arnold Schwarzenegger as the leader of that. And as you'll recall, Kevin, at that point, he had a broom up on the stage and he was doing the, we're going to sweep out the bad guys. And then we took that and went to, and went to a Bay Area stop, which was a big stop too. And I think by the end of that day, we we're all feeling like, okay, we, we, we're good. You know, we've survived this last kind of major bump in the road and the momentum is with us. But what about Maria? What role did Maria play, in particular, in, in diffusing that issue? Yeah, Maria played a, a super important role that night by, by standing beside Arnold and, and really diminishing the, the, you know, talking as his wife uh, and speaking for Arnold and validating for Arnold that he was a good guy. And that really undercut the story dramatically. And obviously what she did that day was really important to the success of the campaign. So the, the difference of the, the kind of the feeling that uh, we were gaining momentum in crowds and it was the story, the recall movement was bigger than all of this. And then what Maria did as Arnold's wife to say, to vouch for him as a good guy that day at that press availability that night really undercut that story. And we were on our way. And then from there on out, I think the next four, five, six days, we were just drawing huge crowds around the state. Then it was like you start transitioning because you, you never want to get cocky. You never want to think it's done because it's not done until it's done. But then you start shifting your message to like, okay, this, because this was fast, right? You become the recall happens and then you're governor all of a sudden. So you got to start thinking through that, all that kind of stuff too. But it led to the big Sacramento event that Sunday before the recall where we, we uh, Mike Murphy had this vision of, you know, this huge manu monumental event. Which you were skeptical of initially. <laughs> <laughs> Mike always had big vision and, and he's brilliant. And uh, he wanted to do a big uh, parade down Capitol Mall. And then he said, we're gonna get Dee Snyder to sing the song. We're not gonna take it anymore. And all of us were listening to Mike, looking at each other like, how are we gonna pull this one off? <laughs> uh, but the team came together. And again, Arnold is such a big celebrity. Um, we were able to draw, I think we had 20,000 people on the south side of the Capitol that day. And Dee Snyder there singing in person over and over. We're not going to take it anymore. Arnold brought out the broom and did the broom. And, and I, you know, his, his actions that day, it was clear that, you know, we were going to win. And then you start transitioning to now how are we going to become governor and everything. But you can never take anything for granted. But we felt pretty good about where we were that day. Which takes us then into Election Day. Um, and I think those of us that were covering the campaign had a pretty good uh, understanding for how the race was going to turn out. So my particular assignment was was to cover Gray Davis voting. So we we set up at his polling place on uh, Wilshire Boulevard and um, waited for him. And of course, massive, massive crowd waiting for, for Gray to show up. And uh, at one point, Jesse Jackson showed up, talked about you know his views on the recall. 
Larry Flint, who was a candidate in the race, he, it happened to be his polling place, he showed up. So we were all making jokes that, well, we came here to um, cover Larry Flint voting, and then Gray showed up, <laughs> you know? And he, and he did, and, and, and he, he maintained a fairly, fairly stoic um, uh, appearance, but it was clear that he knew uh, what the outcome was going to be. And I was at his campaign headquarters that night, which um, things ended fairly fairly early. I assume you were at uh, Arnold's headquarters, yep. right? Which was uh, fun and exciting, and you, you felt like, okay, we're starting a new chapter here in California. But this is like the 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 idea, the burden of like, oh my gosh, you got to form a government and start like governing like right away, right? It's a lot different than campaigning. That's right. It's a lot different than campaigning. You don't have the the huge, I can't remember how much of a transition. We had a transition period, but it was fast and you had to move this fast. So then we moved from like, you don't have a breath, right? One day you're, you're on the campaign and you're trying to get elected. And the next day we're sitting in this transition, transition space over here. I think it was seventh and J some Nielsen Merksmer space sticks in my mind that we were subleasing and trying to put a government together. So there was no breath, you know, no break. It was like from, but I mean, that's what you do and that's why you're doing it. So it was still, you know, exhilarating and, and inspiring. And like, we, we really believed we were making a difference. We were saving California. And then, you know, we went on to then Arnold governing, which is a whole nother story we can talk about, but it was fast. And, and, and I, I always thought it was really good of Gray Davis to show up at that, uh, the day that the governor Arnold was inaugurated. That must have been a tough thing for him to do, the guy that just got recalled, to show up and say this is what's in the best interest of the I state. I have to say, I mean, and, and I was the pool reporter back in the, in the governor's horseshoe when the two of them met and, and were discussing the transition. And I, I have to give Gray Davis all the credit in the world for being uh, magnanimous and for not being a poor sport. Oh, my um, gosh. He, he really was handled it extremely well. He really did. The other thing I remember about that inauguration, Kevin, it was outdoors. I think it, we thought it was going to rain, but we did it outdoors. And there was a big question about whether we we're going to pull it off outdoors. But one of the things I remember is um, the amount of TV cameras at that inauguration. Insane. We kept going through the schematic of, you know, all the people and where they're going to sit and everything. And, you know, you're going through like all the VIPs and all that stuff. But I remember talking to the press guys and every time they had to grow the press the press uh, platform, right? It was like, we gotta make it bigger, bigger. Yeah. We've got like 50, no 60, no seven, no 80. It was like 100 TV cameras or something crazy. Over 100, and, and the CHP was in charge of issuing permits for the inauguration, and their press phones were melting. Yeah, There yeah. were so many calls. Yeah, it was, I remember looking back and seeing a, I've never seen, I don't think there ever was a press platform that big, even maybe for president. Never, it was similar to a presidential. Similar to a president, or even, it may have been bigger, but again, because of all the European uh, TV cameras that were out there, but the crowd was huge, yeah. and then the press platform was was just massive. And again, it it like um, you know the the and you can talk to this obviously uh, the the Capitol press corps had diminished quite extensively by then. So when I worked for Pete Wilson in the '90s, he would go into room 1190, and you would cover it, and others would cover it, and there was a significant Capitol press corps, yeah. but press corps uh, uh, reporters from other parts of the state. And they, but they had pretty much gone by then for Gray Davis. They were gone. But when Arnold became governor, that all, you know, people started sending correspondence to Sacramento oh, again yeah. uh, to stations, cover because it, it was such a big deal. Stations started setting up uh, Capitol bureaus again. It was, it was almost, almost like a, a return to the days of Reagan in, yeah. in the sense that suddenly politics was really interesting again. I always had maintained that governing is not going to be nearly as important as the campaign, especially a recall as topsy-turvy as that one was. 
But nonetheless, um, there was a huge amount of interest. And uh, yeah, the Capitol Press Corps just expanded dramatically virtually overnight. Um, the LA stations, the Bay Area stations, I'm sure there was some foreign uh, press that set up bureaus as well. In fact, I remember there was somebody in Schwarzenegger's press office who was designated specifically to deal with foreign press. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but it, it was interesting, too, because by the end of the Wilson second term, we would always say, like, if you want to hit the L.A. press corps, you have to go to Los Angeles, right? Because they're not up here anymore. Right. If you do a presser in Sacramento, you're going to get the Sacramento press corps, but you're not going to get L.A. coverage. So, and that always, you know, so you had to tell Pete Wilson, Governor Wilson, to get L.A., which was the biggest market. You're going to have to go down to L.A. So that totally changed when Arnold came in because all the correspondents were back up here. But of course, and he liked being on the road. So he wanted to go back on the road and be in these other markets because that's what fed his energy. But the other thing I remember in the early days too is when going to the Capitol, when Gray was um, governor, the place was pretty much dead. There just wasn't a bunch of interest there. And once Arnold became governor, oh my gosh, it was like a Hollywood studio. There were tour groups rolling through there, international. I mean, it was like you'd go in that place and it was just bustling with people everywhere. And everybody, remember they had to, never before did you have to set rope and stanchion outside the governor's office just to go into the reception room. Yep. Because of course I was going into the horseshoe four or five times a day. I was working on the outside with the outside political team, but I was over there all the time. And this rope and stanchion, finally the CHP had to set up rope and stanchion, like a line, and you had to line up, and the line would go on for you know hundreds of yards oh, to yeah. try to just look at the reception room, which was so interesting. So it constantly reminded you, this is different than it used to be. This okay. is way different than it used to be. As you mentioned, at 1190 was the governor's press conference room, and I remember being in there uh, as I had been for other governors, and sitting in my seat, waiting for the governor to make his appearance to answer questions, and we're, we're sitting there chatting among ourselves, and all of a sudden we hear out in the hallway this big whoop, this big uproar, and I just turned to whoever was next to me and said, I guess Arnold's on the way. Yeah. And that's the way it was. That was the atmosphere, was he would step out into that corridor, and the school kids, the tourists, the, the fans, uh, they would just set up this big uproar. So um, people, would, what started happening is that we would announce uh, a presser, the governor was gonna do a presser at 11 o'clock and 11.90, and as you know, the only way to get there was you had to go into the public hall. You yeah. would leave the governor's horseshoe and walk to 1190, which was, a, what, 50 yards, something like that? Yeah. So people would line up waiting in the Capitol for hours yep. just to see him. So it was almost like a Hollywood movie lot or something, you know, because the CHP setting up rope and stanchion, you can't walk here and you can't And people were everywhere. Yeah. And as you said, the second he came in the hallway, you knew it because everybody started yelling and screaming, and there he is. And you know, it was, you're like, man, this is just, it, the difference in that was crazy. Really transformed uh, the whole political arena. I mean, the, the campaign was like nothing I had ever covered before as far as an ongoing political story, just because of the extreme nature of the attention and the novelty of it. And then you're right, once we got into the actual governing part of it, uh, just huge amounts of interest on the parts of visitors to the Capitol, but also in the part of people wanting to consume the news. I mean, I couldn't feed enough material out to NBC stations. I couldn't feed out enough material to satisfy uh, the need and the interest that was yeah. out there. Yeah, it was a recall in an election that was like no other. And then especially during the first term, it was like a, a, a term that was like no other from the standpoint of interest from the press and people and tourists. It, it just turned everything upside down. At the outset of the campaign, you knew this was going to be different from any other campaign you had ever worked on uh, based on 
some phone calls that Schwarzenegger was getting. Yeah, so, of course, I had worked on two governor's races before this with Pete Wilson, both his three races, actually, his 1988 Senate re-elect, then his 1990 run for governor, and his re-elect in 94. So I had been, you know, been through statewide campaigns, through two governor's races, so I knew what it was like to be on a statewide campaign, but I quickly realized this was like nothing like we had ever seen before in those types of campaigns, and it really struck me after we got the notice, or the Frank Wolf called us the night of the announcement on The Tonight Show, uh, I flew down on a private plane the next day with Paul Miner and a couple other people who would work with him on Prop 49. And I knew Arnold pretty well at that point. He was comfortable with me. So uh, the next that, that first day we got there, we had lunch with him downstairs uh, at the restaurant, whatever that restaurant was down, about 10 of us. So there was about 10 of us that were on right away that had worked with him on Prop 49 and a group that he felt comfortable with. Mostly former Wilson uh, administration people, Bob White and George Gorton and Paul Miner and others. And so uh, Arnold felt good about that team because we had run through the Prop 49 campaign with him. So he's very comfortable with me. He and I had a good personal relationship. And uh, George Gorton said, uh, remember that first day was just chaos because we didn't think he was going to announce or anything. So it was kind of like, what do we do? So we're trying to get everything organized. And George said, go in there and start. Uh, and George and Bob said, go spend some time with Arnold and make phone calls. Let's start getting endorsements for this race. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So I had the pleasure of sitting in his office with him for three hours that next day. And I think we only were able to make one call <laughs> because he was incoming calls. It was like his assistant, Chris Lanning, would come in and say, Arnold, uh, Danny DeVito's on the phone. Then the next call would be President Bush is on the phone. Carl Rove's on the phone. I mean, it was celebrity politician, celebrity politician. And Arnold is gracefully taking all these calls very calmly and talking to everybody. And it was like, for me, I'm sitting there going, wow, this is going to be interesting. This is really going to be interesting. The one call I got him to make, I'll never forget this, was uh, now House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy had just been elected to the Assembly, and he wanted to do a call with his uh, uh, caucus. And so we were able to squeeze in one quick call with, uh, with uh, Assembly Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and his caucus at that point. We had a very fun call with them back and forth. And they had established a relationship at that point, too, because of Prop 49. But really, I wasn't able to get any of the calls in because there was just an onslaught of incoming calls and, and uh, actors and actresses that he worked with on all of his productions. And then, like I said, the president, Carl Rove, people calling him. It was really a fascinating day. And that was the kickoff to the most interesting 60 days in California politics probably ever. Gave you a, a glimpse or a window into what was to come. Into what it was going to be. That was the best window into what it was going to become. As I said before, I'd had experience with Arnold during Prop 49. And at the time during Prop 49, he was filming Terminator. So we would go on the set with him uh, and we went to a bunch of uh, political events with him and we saw the crowd events. But it just really struck you uh, that day after when this had happened the calls he was taking, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger could call anybody and they would take the call immediately too. That was great with call time. You never had to set it up because if you just say Arnold Schwarzenegger's calling, everybody takes that call. So it was fun doing call time with him. I would do call time with him at the Oak office and then I would go to his house a lot and do call time with him there to try to secure endorsements. Since I was a political director, I was about getting endorsements and turnout and everything. So it was always fascinating to listen to him and to, to hear, to be on my side and to listening to the phone calls with Arnold and he was always great about accepting feedback, too. I'd say you should stress this with this person or stress this with this person or you met this person last time and, boy, he was right on it. Hey, I remember seeing you back at this rally at Prop 49 and I need you on board with me. And people couldn't say no to him. They just couldn't say no to Arnold. They'd say yes. So it was super interesting. Let's, uh, let's fast forward now. Uh, 
18 years, hard, hard as that is to believe, to 2021. And people thought that maybe after the tumultuous presidential race in 2020, we might have a break from campaign politics. Not going to be the case. We're headed directly towards another recall of a governor in, in California. And, and we're not going to know officially until the end of April, April 29th, the de- deadline for county officials to finish verifying the signatures. But even Gavin Newsom has acknowledged that this recall election is going to go forward. So what is going to be taking place between now and the official declaration of the recall? Yeah. So right now, and this, this is different than the last time because the lead time is so much longer. And, you know, once Arnold got into that race, it was a 60 day race and it changed the dynamics dramatically. This will be a, a longer recall election you know, everybody's projecting the, the timelines, I believe, say a November or a December election. But make, make no mistake, even though the recall hasn't been certified, the race has begun on all sides right now. It's clear from the governor's uh, uh, tour the last couple of days, they're taking this seriously after I think for a while they kind of dismissed it and hoped that it wasn't going to happen. Um, they now know that it is going to happen. 2.1 million signatures collected. I believe that's the most ever collected for recall ballots. So this is serious stuff. And uh, not taking a recall seriously is at your own risk. I mean, these are very, this is a very serious thing. It's an up or down on your performance as governor. So they have clearly are taking it seriously and they've begun their campaign. Uh, I know there's multiple uh, entities looking at running a yes on the recall campaign out there. And I know they've started their planning. So both sides are, are quickly transitioning beyond signature gathering to yes and no on the recall. There's going to be an enormous amount of money spent on both sides, but I think especially on the no side. Um, the no side has built in uh, resources available to it. Gavin's, uh, the governor's got $20 million in his bank account and a bunch of uh, allies and organizations that are willing to spend big that don't want to see him go down. Uh, that's a different dynamic than last time. Um, once Arnold got into the race in 2003, that was the worst possible thing for Gray Davis because it changed the dynamics of the yes vote on the recall. But even back then, the yes vote was in the mid-50s, 55 percent. Governor Davis was extremely unpopular, 63 percent unfavorable at that point. So he was pretty baked going to that thing. This one's a little different. The demographics have changed. Less Republicans, more independents, uh, more Democrats. Uh, So the governor has a fighting chance. But he's, he's, he's in some deep political water right now. Well, as you know, recall threats are fairly common, but to ha- actually have a recall qualify for the ballot is very rare. It's only the second time in California's 171 years of statehood and only the fourth um, gubernatorial recall in the history of the country. When you think back to Gavin Newsom having approval ratings last fall of 64%, which is stratospheric, right? Yeah. Uh, would you have ever seen this coming? No, probably not. Uh, it's amazing how quickly things can change, right? And it's amazing uh, in, in hindsight how much one event, one, well, two events, let's, let's talk, talk about two events which supercharged this recall and really make it possible. One is the judge's decision in November to give them an extension. And to make the point that judges had given uh, some Democratic operatives on ballot stuff extended periods too. So it, the decision was a legitimate one, I think, in the, what, what he uh, ruled to give them an extended period of time. But even at that period, I don't think that would have done it alone. It was that coupling with the French laundry incident in Napa, which really supercharged the recall. And I think those that are working on the recall and the proponents would, would argue that, too. And it was that worth noting. event. It was worth noting that recall 
when it was first filed, wasn't really about pandemic. Right. It was about other issues. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it, it morphed into this. Yeah. There was a lot of frustration with the governor before that, but it certainly morphed. And there had been, what, Kevin, five or six recall attempts uh, on, on Governor Newsom prior to this. Uh, this last one, I think, was, you know, it, it probably had the, it, it really was a citizen's movement. There's no question. But I think, you know, looking at it honestly, if the French laundry incident hadn't happened, I don't know if they had made their deadline. It would have, there was still certainly a, a decent chance with the extension, the, the additional time and people's frustration over COVID. But the French laundry incident was just a, a such a symbolic uh, event for so many people that, that the frustration let out, and I know uh, we're not working on the recall, of course, but I know in talking to some of them, their their signature gathering exploded after that thing. So that was just really the the event that supercharged. So the two things coupled together, the extended period of time and the French laundry. I'm not sure this would have happened if hadn't both of them happened together, but it's a perfect storm, and now we're going to have a recall election. And as you know, one of the characteristics of, of a recall is the uncertainty that's attached to, uh, in particular, the list of possible replacement candidates. Right. As we talked about earlier, 135 candidates uh, in 2003. So what are you expecting to see in that regard this time around? A lot of candidates. Because it's, <laughs> it's not that, I mean, the the um, requirements are Very really basic. pretty basic, right? Very you basic. write a $3,500 check and you do the paperwork and you're registered everybody, and you're a U.S. citizen, yep. right? Everybody that's dreamt about being governor think this is their opportunity, right? Uh, Gary Coleman included from last time. So I think we'll probably see a couple hundred candidates again this time. You're not going to see a, I don't believe, a star of the Arnold Schwarzenegger magnitude. But I know a couple people that I would consider to be celebrities uh, in Los Angeles and Hollywood are, are looking at it. Um, I wouldn't say they're big movie celebrities, but they're celebrities in their own right and, and have, a, have a huge following. You're going to see a lot of candidates, not one that, that, that is overwhelming like Arnold. You'll probably see uh, a lot of Republicans, obviously. The real question in my mind, so you're, I think you're going to see a bunch of Republicans. We already know there's three fairly prominent Republicans, uh, San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner probably being the most prominent of the three and with the best record. Uh, the real question, and I think Governor Newsom's strategy right now is focused on keeping a Democrat off that ballot. That is their worst nightmare right now to have any prominent Democrat with name ID to appear on that recall ballot, because that then allows frustrated Democrats and independents who don't want the governor, but also don't want, for, don't want to vote for a Republican, to vote for a Democrat. That was Cruz Bustamante's calculation in 2003, and it may have worked had Arnold not been on the ballot. But this time we don't have an Arnold. So the, the question and what you've seen the governor's strategy over the last seven to 10 days has been, in announcing progressive endorsements, having Bernie Sanders weigh in, having Elizabeth Warren weigh in. That's really less about, I believe, their endorsement of Gavin as it is a warning shot for progressives to keep somebody off the ballot, because that's Gavin's biggest challenge right now is keeping somebody else, a prominent Democrat. There's going to be Democrats on that ballot, but a prominent Democrat yeah. with name, ID, or money. An establishment right? Democrat, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, I know everybody's talking about Antonio uh, because of you know they went head-to-head -head last time and Gavin spent money against him in the primary to ensure he didn't face him in the general. So there's a lot of rumors about Antonio right now. I have no insider knowledge to know if that's serious or not, but he would be a big problem for Gavin if, if for the governor if, if Antonio got in. But there's going to be a lot of Republicans, a lot more rumored Republicans. Uh, there's going to be some Republicans, I think, that, that align with Trump, and there's going to be a bunch of Republicans that don't align with Trump. So that's going to be interesting. 
Uh, so it's going to be an interesting, very, very interesting dynamic. And so the characteristic here is that somebody could certainly and will certainly, if there were a, an actual replacement picked, uh, they would win with substantially less than a majority vote. Correct. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see anybody garner the amount of the number of votes that Arnold did in, in 2003. You're going to see, I think some people are making the calculation they could win in the 20s with that many candidates. Uh, if they can align themselves with a certain block of voters uh, that they think they can be elected governor with a, definitely not a majority. There's no question. 20s, and as, as you know, uh, the person with the most votes wins, right? They become governor. If that first ballot is yes recall, more than 50% saying yes recall, whoever gets the most votes on the second ballot becomes governor. So in theory, that could be 22, 23, 25% of the vote, or even less if there's that many candidates. So that's, that leads to a lot of people getting into the race thinking that they can win. The real question is how many of them have resources because it's going to be expensive. We all know you know, it's a couple million dollars just to be on statewide TV in this state. Uh, so it's going to be super expensive to be able to get your message, your name ID out. So that, it'll be interesting to see how this race plays out. But recalls like this 10 people, anybody that's ever thought about it tends to believe, what the heck, what, what do I got to lose, right? I got nothing. This is my chance. A few bucks and I'm on the ballot where, with everybody else. And who knows, maybe I'll get into one of the debates. So it's going to be, for those of us involved in politics and, and interested in politics and passionate about politics, it's going to be very interesting. So as the recall campaign goes forward and we turn to the more mundane business of the, of the Capitol and the legislature, um, how is the recall campaign going to affect the ability for legislation to move forward and in particular for advocacy groups to work for and against legislation? Does the recall just take all the oxygen out of that process? What's the impact going to be? Yeah, I think the, the recall will take the oxygen out of the earned media side and the press, for sure. There will be the eyes of the nation and the world will probably be on us because California, so goes California, the old saying. And certainly when you've got a recall and there's only two other governor's uh, races on the ballot in, in uh, 2021, so we're going to have all of the eyes on us. Gavin is a national figure. Uh, loved or hated in some cases. Uh, you know, he's going to get a ton of coverage on CNN and Fox. This race is going to be nationalized very quickly. That's the governor's strategy to nationalize it. Their strategy really this time is to make it D versus R, uh, clearly, as they've gone after it and calling it the Republican recall and the Trump recall. Uh, that's their strategy. And I think the strategy of the Republican side and the other side, the yes side, is to say this is not uh, a Trump. This has nothing to do with Trump. This is Everything to do with frustrated Californians, Republican, Democrat, and independents who are frustrated, especially with the governor's COVID response. What does that mean from the standpoint of the legislative session? It probably means the governor moves to the left uh, and that interest groups and those that he needs to fend off the recall will have his ear on a daily basis, maybe more than they have in the past. Some who believe they haven't been, he hasn't been very friendly to them, will have probably more access than they've had previously because he's going to need them. And Gavin knows, you know, the history shows if you show if you survive a recall, you're in pretty good shape in the following election because there's just been a judgment on you. And I think the, the, the general consensus, and I would believe if he survives a recall, he's going to be in super really good shape in his reelection. Re so for him, it's moving everything up right now. And so those groups that are, are going to be uh, lobbying him and, and working with him are going to have a very open door this year. Uh, because of the recall overlay on the ballot. And he's going to, he's, you know, again, they're going to nationalize this and try to make this D versus R. There's roughly two Democrats for every Republican in this state. So 
that's their strategy to make this a D versus R campaign, and they think that's how they win this thing. Yeah, you anticipated my my last question, which was if if Newsom um, survives the recall, um, he comes out of this in really strong shape, not only for re-election, but for whatever else he has in mind. Yeah, I think that's right. Unless it's razor thin, which is probably an unlikely scenario. I mean, I guess the, the likely scenario, I guess, is probably it's either going to be razor thin and tight or he's going to win by a lot. Uh, I think under most scenarios, you survive a recall of this magnitude during a pandemic. We all know it's going to get better. So if you can survive it during this time, you're going to be in pretty good shape for a reelect next time. And in this state, not only the number of Democrats to Republicans is a huge institutional advantage for any Democrats, but the amount of money available to the Democratic side, the amount of organizations that will fund a race, the union money, uh, the Republican side just doesn't have that. So to replicate this again a second time on the Republican side is going to be very, very difficult unless he's deeply, deeply wounded coming out of this thing and survives by the nick of his skin. Uh, even then, I think he'll have the advantage going in because, again, the amount of money and the institutional support of, of the culture of Sacramento is so strong for the Democratic side. He'll have a huge advantage going in. But they know they got to do this, right? They got And you can see it in, in the governor's face how serious he takes this. And you can see how much the French Laundry thing, you know, when he, he keeps getting asked that question by reporters, how much that aggravates him. You can see that really gets under his skin because I think he knows that was an unforced error that got him to this point. He, he can feel it. That was the unforced error. In politics, we all know this. The one thing you really try to do is unforced error. There's going to be errors. We all know it. And you deal with the errors. There's going to be a crisis. You deal with the crisis. The things that kill you are the unforced errors. And I think there's another big one he just made on the Zoom dad thing. It's another unforced error that he didn't need. And it leads to the charge of, that many are making of the hypocrisy. Um, your kids are in private school. Out our touch. kids are out. You're out of touch. And then, but to give that to your opponents and say Zoom dad, what I believe was a, was a really second big unforced error. And I think that's going to be tough for, tough for him. We'll get official word that the recall has qualified at the end of April when election officials finish their review of voter petitions. But for now, both sides are gearing up for an historic battle in the months ahead. I'm Kevin Riggs. Thanks for listening.